It says, do not withhold from God. Somebody say amen. amen. Just uh, this weekend, I went through all of the giving receipts for the year. I signed off on, on everybody's tithing, everybody's offering, and I'll be honest with you guys this morning. You guys know I always keep it real, right? So I'm going to keep it real with you this morning. I was torn between anger and sadness and almost brought to tears. It was a difficult day, which is why I didn't want to do it. I usually do it before uh, service, like on a Sunday, I'll sign them. But I didn't want to do that because I needed to deal with whatever I was going to have to deal with before sharing the word with you guys this morning. The anger was because of my flesh. I always feel like we're all in it together. I tell you that. I preach it to you. I say we are in this together. We are all sold out. We are all die hard. We are all going to make sure that nobody gets left behind. We're going to give everything we've got. We're going to love as much as we can. And we're just going to do whatever God has called us to do. And then sometimes when I look, I realize that that's not really the case. And it makes me angry in my flesh. But then I get over the flesh and God tells me, hey, Vaughn, it's not about you and how you feel. It's about me. And that's where the sadness came in. The sadness came in because I realized that if people will withhold their finances from God, that's a telltale sign that they're withholding other areas from God. And that matters more than any dollars that you could give here is that when you withhold from God, you prevent him from doing what he wants to do in your life. The scripture that we just read about Abraham that everybody said, I heard it before, I've read it before, I've heard it preached before. What God said to him is, because you have not withheld, held from me, I will bless you. And then you can test the promises of God. When you read through Abraham's life, was he blessed? Was he multiplied? Did he have everything and then some that he needed? Has his descendants multiplied beyond the sand of the seashore and the stars in the sky? Are you here in that line because of the blessings of God on Abraham? And where did it start? It started because he didn't withhold. Do not withhold from God. He's bigger than dollars. The things that he has for you are more important than dollars. Somebody say amen. So that's the first thing I wanted to share. Second thing about this verse is, is verse 7. Said, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I thought it was so special I was, as I was going through this that Isaac knew that there was supposed to be an offering. He was a young man, like many of the young men and women that you see here, and he knew because his father taught him that we give. His father showed him that we give. Where will we be as a church if we don't teach and show the young people that we give? As I came up to the altar this morning, thank God for the worship team, and I'm worshiping, and then we begin to pray, and I feel something bump me on the left side and something bump me on the right side, and it's my kids. It's my son, and it's my daughter. You know what? I show them, and I teach them that we worship. I show them, and I teach them that we give. And my expectation will be that any moment, like, like Abraham and Isaac, when we're walking somewhere, they know the truth. And Isaac said to Abraham, where's the offering? There should be an offering, Dad. We don't go up to the mountain of God without giving something to him. It's your responsibility to do the right thing, and it's your responsibility to teach the children. It's not mine, and it's not the church's. It's the new year, it's tough, but the truth is the truth, amen? Amen. amen. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we thank you that you're gracious. We thank you that your forgiveness and your blood is so good that there's nothing we can do to find ourselves outside of your grace, outside of your mercy, and outside of your love. When as men and women, we get frustrated with each other or with actions or with inaction, Lord God, you already know the end from the beginning. When you saved us, there was no contingencies. You didn't say, I'll wash you clean, I'll save you from your sins, but if you don't give, I'll, re I'll take it back. 
But if you don't read, I'll take it back. But if you don't pray, I'll take it back. No, your love knows no end. You've given us all things. It belongs to us. It's our inheritance already. And the things that we do and the decisions we make, Lord, it's a reflection of understanding of how much you love us. I pray that this year you would continue the process of sanctifying us. Your word says that you who begun a good work in us, you are faithful to complete it, Lord God. Let me not be in your way. Let me not be a stumbling block or a hindrance to what you're doing in each and every life here in this place, Lord God. But I pray that you would speak to us all that you would show us all something, Lord God, that the examples that you set before us of Abraham and Isaac, of Rebecca, Lord God, of, of all the other men and women in your word, Lord, of what we need to do, that we can receive the promises that you've made to each and every one of us. We ask that you would take these finances, these resources, these tithes, and these offerings. You know where we come from. You know what challenges we have, Lord God. You know that many of us want to give and cannot, Lord God. You know that many of us need to be encouraged and taught how to manage our resources, Lord would you help us this morning? Would you use it to see your kingdom furthered that we can understand why we give, why it's important to you, why you've established it as a commandment for us, God? We love you this morning and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 <clears throat> Everybody say, wow. wow. Everybody say, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> Just imagine if you lived with me. You get to choose whether or not you want to come to church. So I know that's a strong message this morning on giving, but I think it's challenging and I think it's fitting because of the way that we're going to start our new series this morning on, or this year and this morning, on vision. Right? Many of you, if you have the app, you saw it. Many of you, if you're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, you saw uh, a picture come up about vision, and we're talking about vision. We have to be able to see why these things are important. We have to be able to see what it is that God's trying to do in our lives. It's not a coincidence that on Wednesday night in our Bible study, this last Wednesday, we were in Matthew chapter 17, and we looked at the transfiguration of Christ. He goes up on a mountain, takes Peter, James, and John, and they see him begin to glow and shine. They see Moses and Elijah come down out of heaven, and they see God in his transfigured glory like he will be in heaven. Only three people to see that. I didn't see it. You didn't see it. None of the other disciples saw it, but they were able to see something special. They had vision beyond most of our vision, right? It's not coincidence that we start this series and after all these years, that's where we are in our Bible study. Yesterday, Mary and I got a call. We had to take one of the ladies from the church to the doctor's office, to the dentist's office, because she had an infection that got so bad and began to attack her so, so bad in, in her mouth and in her teeth that she literally went blind, could not see, could not get around her house, could not get out of her house, could not get to the dentist. We had to go pick her up, and we prayed over her. Lord, we pray that you would use these doctors and these dentists, this first of multiple surgeries that she's going to have to go to, to begin to restore her sight. And we all know how God is, so God did that. Somebody say amen. amen. We picked her up from the dentist, and she could see better than she could before. As we were driving to the dentist, all she could see is blurry. She couldn't see any street signs, couldn't see anything. And you could tell when we picked her up that she was happy to be able to see even our faces. What an amazing God that we serve, right? But it's about vision. Last night, we had family time with Mary, uh, Mary's parents, my in-law's house. Everything went fine. We get ready to leave. And then my baby, my, my three-year-old, Niall, he starts flipping out right before we get ready to leave the house and holding his eye. He cried all the way home for 45 minutes because he couldn't see and his eye was burning. His eye was red. It's a little puffy this morning, right? We got him home. We put a, a hot compress on his eye. 
And then we drugged him like good parents do with Moltrin and Benadryl so that we can stop the crying. I mean, so that he could go to sleep and rest. But it's about vision. It's like God is showing me. The only, honestly, usually I get frustrated. How many of you parents get frustrated? Like the kid's crying. It's like, look, your eye hurts. I understand. But shut up. We're in the car. Stop. But I didn't get frustrated because I could see what God was doing in the whole situation, right? I could see between Wednesday night's transfiguration. I could see between Saturday morning's trip to the dentist. I could be, see between uh, Saturday night's trip home with my son being unable to see that God was trying to confirm some things for me about vision that I could share with you about vision this morning. See, when you can see things... The normal things in your life that would frustrate you, you won't see them as frustrations or problems or drama. You'll see them as God's divine order to take you from one place to the next. I could see it yesterday, right? So here we are, week one of our series. In our vision series, the the title of the message this morning is Dreams and Visions. Say dreams and visions. Dreams and visions. One of the most difficult parts of dreams And visions is interpretation. How many of you have had dreams? How many of you have had visions? Amen. Isn't it hard to interpret? What did that mean? Right? We wake up saying, I I, I had a dream. I had a nightmare. I had a vision. I had something. Right? But what did it mean? It's not like your normal life or the way you normally see things. You feel like there's some meaning to it. You feel like there's something you're supposed to receive from it. But if you can't interpret the dream or interpret the vision, you end up confused, scared, frustrated, and just hoping you don't have any more dreams, hoping you don't have any more visions, right? Because you can't interpret it. You don't know what it means. We wake up frantic. We begin to ask our spouses. We begin to ask our friends. We begin to ask our, our, uh, our pastors. I had this dream. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? I had a young lady call me recently. She was reading in her scriptures, and uh, she came across something that scared her and literally went to bed that night and started having dreams and visions of bad things that were associated with That scripture, she calls me and she says, this is the area that I read, and then I went to sleep and I couldn't sleep. I woke up two or three times. I'm worried now. I'm scared now. And she told me about it. So she told me what the scriptures were. I read through the scriptures, and I had a complete opposite response to it. I was encouraged because the scriptures were talking about people who come to know the Lord, come to church, get get involved in the life of God, and then they turn from God and walk away from God and the dramatic destruction that begins to take place in their life, right, because they've gotten far from God. And I told her, I said, listen, this is what this portion of scripture is talking about. So we don't need to be afraid. I don't plan on going anywhere from God. And as far as I know from you, it's been a decade. I don't think you're going anywhere either. Don't have fear. Just be aware. Interpret the scripture. Interpret the dream and you can find peace. Lately, a lot of people have been telling me about dreams. I believe God is stirring something up. I believe that when we begin to have dreams and visions in this kind of frequency where people are calling me, this happened, that happened, I think God is trying to prepare us for something, not make us afraid of something. If we interpret them properly. And if we understand it's not just one or two people that four, five, six people this is happening to, God is obviously preparing us for something. For me, I don't usually have dreams or visions But the funny thing is, I feel sure about the direction that I'm heading with in the Lord as if I do have dreams and visions, right? I'm not, you guys know me. I don't often come and say, I had this dream or I had this vision or God showed me this. I don't feel that way very often. But I do have something inside of me. What I'll say is that I'm a daydreamer. 
I feel like I'm wide awake and God is showing me things. He's telling me which way to go, when to go, how to go, and I'm just going for it. I feel like there's a homing beacon inside of me that it, when I'm going in the right direction, it beeps and it flashes. It says, that's the way. I know where I'm going. I know why I'm going that direction. God is showing me things, but it's not in the middle of the night. It's not in my sleep. It's not in dreams, typically. It's as if certain things have been deposited into my heart and into my mind, and they're just there from God. I know it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16 puts it like this. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I'll write them. That's Hebrews 10, 16. Imagine, if you, read the, if you read the word and you believe it, God says, listen, I'm not going to be just external. I'm not going to just talk to you when you come to church. I'm not going to just talk to you when you read or when you pray. I will actually put my laws on your heart, in your heart, and into your mind. Many of you have probably experienced this, and maybe you just didn't know what it was, where maybe when early on in your salvation you'd come to church and something would be preached, and you'd say, I know that already. I've never read the Bible. I've never been to church, but for some reason I know that truth already. Because he's written it on your heart, written it on your mind. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 says this, not that I have already attained it or grasped it or grabbed it or am I holding it, right? Or that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. Paul's saying this, I don't have everything that God has promised me or told me that I'm going to have, but I press on towards it because I want to obtain it. I want to grab it. I want to hold it in my hands. I want to see those descendants. I want to see those blessings. I want to see that restored marriage. I want to see the financial stability. I want to see everything that God promised me. He says, I'm going to lay hold of it, and that's why God laid hold of me to begin with. See, when you have a dream and when you have a vision, you will be compelled to go in a direction. If you're here this morning with no dream, if you're here this morning with no vision, where are you going and why are you going there? It's more like a nightmare, isn't it? That at any moment, the dream could change into a nightmare. Anybody ever have nightmares like that where you think it's a dream at first and then all of a sudden halfway through you realize it's a nightmare? <laughs> That's what it's like to be a Christian without direction. So here's the thing about dreamers and visionaries. They often feel trapped or imprisoned in this world because they see things that others haven't seen. If you ever talk to somebody who has a lot of dreams or visions, they get frustrated because you can't see what they see. You can't see the business they want to start. You can't see the house they want to buy. You can't see the family they want to build. You can't see the vacation they want to take. All you can see is the drama that you're sitting in. And visionaries and dreamers get frustrated because they're like, look, I want to get out of the drama. I want to see the vision. I want to see the goal, and I want to go that way. I'm trying to tell you, but you can't see it. They feel trapped. They're like, am I the crazy one? Am I the only one that sees these things? Am I the only one that thinks that it's valuable to get out of the junk and drama and start going towards the vision of destiny? It's hard to be a dreamer. It's hard to be a visionary. And when you get saved, God calls all of us to be dreamers and visionaries. But you know what happens? The Bible talks about seed and where it gets planted, right? The Bible talks about weeds growing up and choking you off. That's the choking of your dreams and the choking of your visions. Philippians 3.20 says this, Our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself. What does that mean? 
Paul says, my citizenship is in heaven, which means I'm an alien, a visitor. I'm illegal here in the world, in America, in California, because I'm supposed to be in heaven because I'm a citizen of heaven. And what that means is I have a dream and a vision of the day that I'll be there. And I'm living within this kind of half dream, half nightmare here in this place. He says, I see my home as that place, which is why I sound crazy, which is why I can pin almost half or more of the New Testament, because I can see things that others can't see. Because I'm not a citizen of Israel in the physical here on earth. I'm a citizen of heaven. And that's the place that I see and call home. Many of us can see our complete transformation and then we struggle with the untransformed parts of our lives. Because you have a vision of not waking up with the thoughts you have. You have a vision of living a life without the burdens you carry. You have a vision of being able to completely to forgive people that you haven't been able to forgive. We have visions and dreams of, a, of that kind of life because we are called to have that life. Two things I'm hoping through this series as we go through it. Number one, that you would all see the vision that God has for this church and be invested into it. If you come into a church, God says that we're, we're all the bride of Christ and that we're a body, right? That this body needs to go somewhere. It needs to do something. And if you don't know where this body is trying to go, are you helping the body get there or not? Does that make sense to anybody this morning? The church is a body. The church has a vision. The church has direction. And everybody has to see it and be a part of it. Right? Jesus says it like this. If you're, if you're not with us, you're against us. If you're not going in the same direction, by default, you're pulling in another direction. Does that make sense? Don't let me get too crazy on you this morning. But you matter. You matter to God and you matter to this church. I'm tired of people talking about, I'm thinking about leaving. I'm thinking about this. I don't know what God is doing here. I haven't seen God. I mean, look around. God is moving. Get with it. Stay the course. Remember what you've been taught. Remember what you, how you've been discipled. Remember the things that God has shown you. So that's the first. Know what God is doing here and be invested into it. Be a part of it. Number two, I pray that I would begin to hear from each of you about what you're longing for, about the dreams and visions that God has given you. Church is not just the body. It's about individuals, too. Why are not more people coming to me and saying, God showed me that he has this for me? God showed me that he has this for my family. I want to hear that so I can say, well, now let's pray specifically about that. Let's get on a track. Let's get on a journey. Let's start taking steps. When I see you two weeks from now and you told me God showed you he has this for you and your family, what have you done in the last two weeks? What steps have you taken in the last month? What has changed about the way that we're living? I want to know what dreams and visions you have so that I can help and pray and be a part of those coming to completion. That should be what church is about. Pastor, God showed me this. Not, not some of the things that we're typically talking about. You have a dream. You have a vision. If you, if you don't know what it is, pray to, that God would provide clarity on what that is, and then he'll take you there. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You think he only did that for Abraham? Or do you think he wants to do that for you this morning? I feel like I'm getting in trouble, but I don't care. I love, I love dreams. I love vision. I love destiny. I was thinking about it this weekend, and it's a crazy place that I find myself in life. Right now in our lives, I don't want anything from God. Not a single thing. I feel like I'm already where I'm supposed to be. You've already given me more than I could ever ask for. All I have to do now is just stay the course. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be drama. There's going to be unforeseen things. But I'm not looking for another vision because he's already given me vision. 
And my desire is that no matter who you are, that we would all have that kind of confidence in our life that you're right where God wants you to be and you're doing exactly what he wants you to do and he just wants to continue to change you and transform you and continue to forgive you like he has to forgive me. But to know that you're walking in your destiny and your vision, if we're not there, we're missing something. Stop thinking about other things and other people and other other desires and endeavors and start figuring out what God wants for you. So I have good news this morning. Say good news. news. Thank God for some good news. I heard some clapping. Oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I have a gift for you. How many of you love gifts? Only like one or two. Raise your hand if you love gifts. Don't lie. Many of you are like, oh, it's his birthday. He probably got stuff. I want stuff. (laughs) So there's good news and and kind of bad news. The gift from God, salvation, is a free gift, and it doesn't cost you anything, right? But the gift I have for you, it's not quite as free. It's going to cost you a little something. I'm going to ask you guys just to, to take one. Mary, actually, Joe, pass these around. Go around real quick. we got to hurry. We're, we're in a hurry. Get them out of here. Grab one of those and put them on. And as you get your, as you get your, uh, your gift this morning, I told you it's going to cost you what I need you to do. And we're going to be quick about it. Don't, don't take all day. When you get your gift, I need you to get up out of your seat and find a new seat. Praise the Lord. Get a new seat. Get moving. Get moving. Look at you. And it can't be the seat right next to you. Pick a new row. Pick a new row. Pick a new aisle. Pick a new something. Praise the Lord. That's fine. Praise the Lord. And those of you that are, that are waiting for your, your gift, no, you're good. We, we got a good order. Come on, Joe. Let's get it moving, man. Let's go. Come on. Yeah, if you have to, let them let get them. Let's go. Nope. You get two new seats in the same day. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good job. Get it moving. Get it moving. Come on. There you go, Devin. Good help, man. Good help. We need a helpmate. <laughs> Mary can't help you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. So, while these things are going around, here's, here's the thing. As I, as I look out at you guys, one of the things that I notice and I consistently notice is every time I look at you, you're in the same place. You've been sitting in the same seat. The cushion is formed to your butt. (laughs) You've been in the same place all last year, and however long you've been here, the year before that, you've been in the same place. We got to move. Got to move. Anybody missing a pair? (laughs) This vision series... It's about seeing things that you have not seen and seeing the things that you've already seen differently. Let me say that again. Our vision series is about seeing things that you haven't seen before. But the things that you've already seen, I want you to begin to see them differently. Somebody say amen. Amen. Thank you. I don't know when this will happen again, so I want to take a quick picture of you guys. (laughs) Put your glasses on, everybody. 
Try to give your best I'm cute face real quick. Ready? One, two. All right, now let me get one without your glasses when you had no vision. Now that you're getting some vision. No glasses, no glasses. We ready? All right. All right. Disclaimer, you may end up on Facebook. You may end up somewhere. Don't worry about it. So check this out. Put your glasses on for just a second, just a second. I'll let you take them off in just one minute. Here's what we need to know. You're all seeing things right now through a different lens. Right? That's what it means to be a Christian, to see things through a different lens than the rest of the world sees them through. And you're also seeing from a different angle and a different perspective. Think about that for a second. You have a different lens than the rest of the world has because you have Christ. And now, even though you are already here, you are already in the church from this moment, you're seeing things at a different angle, seeing things from a different perspective. This should be the consistent testimony of Christians. I see things that I couldn't see before, and I have a new perspective on things than I had before. Amen? Amen. You can, uh, you can take your glasses off. I told you you had a gift. It's yours to keep. Another interesting thing this morning is that from this moment on, you're also hearing the word of God differently than you've heard it before. I'm trying to tell you something this morning that it's not as hard as you think for God to do a new thing in your life. You took a free gift, you moved a few feet to the right or to the left, and now you see things differently and you hear things differently. It doesn't take a miracle and lightning striking for you to have something new from God in your life. A little bit of effort can change everything. Somebody say amen. Amen. So the scripture I'm going to share with you, I'm going to try my best to, to, to be... Uh, aware of and, and conscious of your guys' time this morning, I just want to tell you a story out of the book of Genesis chapter 41. I'm going to start from verse 1, Genesis 41. It'll be up here for you. I'm going to read through verse 16. It says, then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by a river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. <clears throat> then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt. And they stood by the other cows on the bank of the river, and the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up from one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Say dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams. But there was no one, say no one, there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker... We each had a dream, and one night, he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man who was with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. 
And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. So it happened. He restored me to my office and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon and he shaved, changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Stop there, verse 16. Amen? Dreams and interpretation. The first point I want to make to you guys this morning about dreams and visions is that peace is in the interpretation. Peace is in the interpretation of your dreams and of your visions. It's not necessarily always going to be good news or a good interpretation. The Bible says that God offers us a peace that surpasses understanding. Do you know what that means? It means that if somebody gave you bad news, you're supposed to feel bad. You're supposed to be afraid. You're supposed to be worried. But there's something about being in the kingdom of God where even if you get bad news, if it's from God, you have a peace that surpasses understanding. People don't understand why. How did you get that report? How did God show you this? How did you hear this from your family? And you have peace and joy still because I have a peace from God that surpasses understanding. I recently heard a story about a young man. His father was in the hospital. He had a dream and a vision from God that his father was going to die at 12 o'clock the next day. He's a Christian. So he goes, tells his mom and his sister about the dream in the morning, and they all go down to the hospital, right? And the father is, is not doing very well. 12 o'clock rolls around. They're kind of looking at the clock, and he doesn't die. He actually starts to get better, right? So the, they just go on with the rest of the day. They actually leave the hospital, and then they get a call in the early evening from the doctor saying, hey, he's not doing well again. So they all rush back to the hospital. They spend their time with their father. He said that something, something compelled him because his father wasn't saved, or he didn't believe his father was saved, to just read the word with him. He said that he sat down next to his dad and read the word to him for about two or three hours, and then he asked his dad, do you want to receive Christ as your Savior? At 10 p.m., his dad received Christ as his Savior, and he died at midnight, 12 o'clock. They thought it was 12 in the afternoon. It was 12 midnight. His father passed away. So here's the part about the peace that surpasses understanding. You know what dream and vision he got from God? Bad news. Bad news. But imagine if God gave you bad news, but in a way that it prepared you for what you were about to experience so that you could have a peace that surpasses understanding. Everybody else is losing their mind and they're crying and there's no God and he doesn't care and he doesn't love us. But this young man, he saw his dad be saved two hours before he left this earth and God told him in advance to prepare him that his dad was going to be leaving this earth. The peace is in the interpretation of the dream, not the dream itself. Pharaoh was promised peace from God when he spoke to Joseph. Joseph didn't say, oh yeah, I interpret dreams. I got your back. I'll tell you. Oh, listen to me. I'm going to tell you what. No, he said, listen. Don't, you called me out of prison, but you ain't going to get anything from me. You're going to get something from God, and that will provide you.
trying to prepare you for the inevitable. The second thing that might be happening when God gives you bad news is he's giving you an opportunity to make some changes that will alter the dream and the vision from coming out the way that it looked. Let me say that again. One of two things. One, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Get yourself ready. Two, he's giving you advance notice so you can do something differently so that dream doesn't come to pass the way it was when you saw it at first. You have an ability to change something. You can get up and move. You can put on lenses that you haven't been wearing for whatever reason and see it differently. He's given us an opportunity in preparing us. Let's see what happens in our story here in Genesis 41. Go on to verse 17. He has this dream. Joseph says, hey, you're going to get peace. It's going to come from God. Verse 17, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine looking and fat, fed in the meadow. Behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and, ugly, and very ugly and gaunt. Such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. Giving a more detail here. The gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them. For they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads of... Suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good, and behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them, and the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh that he is a, what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God. God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, set him over all the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Let them gather all the food of the, the land of Egypt in these seven years, good years that are coming, and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh. Let them keep food in the cities, that the food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. Stop there, verse 37. Number two, all right? Number two is, if nothing changes, nothing changes. That's deep, huh? <laughs> Listen, if nothing changes, nothing changes. If there's nothing new in the first eight days of 2017 for you, guess what? You're going to get exactly what you got in 2016. You know why? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. Keep hanging out with the same people. Keep going to the same places. Keep doing the same thing with your finances. Keep reading or not reading. Keep praying or not praying. Keep applying or not applying, and you're going to get what you got last time. If nothing changes, nothing changes. 
Pharaoh got a dream that was bad news. Look, you're going to have a great seven years, but get ready. Because the seven after that are going to be the worst that you've ever had. It's going to make you forget about the seven good years. It's going to be terrible. The land's going to be lost. That's how bad it is. But then what did Joseph tell him? Listen, but if you change, if you change, if you do things differently, you need to find a man, you need to do this, you need to do that. Joseph told Pharaoh he had to change the way he looked at produce and storehouses. He says, you guys are big balling right now, and you got everything. Everybody comes to Egypt because you got everything. But listen, you don't store anything up for a rainy day. You don't prepare for your future. You need to look at your produce. You need to look at your storehouses, and you got to do something different. Oh, and by the way, you know that 10% tide that comes in in this critical moment? It needs to go to 20%. He said one-fifth of everything that comes in, we need to bring it in and put it into storehouses for the future. Why? Because it's a critical moment. Not less because it's critical and you're struggling. More because it's critical and you know that a struggle is coming. It's crazy. Put your glasses back on. You might be able to see it differently. <laughs> he told Pharaoh, listen, you think you're a God on earth, and you think that you are the reason that things are producing here in your land. What God wants to show you if you put the lenses on is that he is the reason things are produced, and he can shut that off at any time, and he's about to show you. Think about that. Pharaoh thinks he's God on earth, he has the most powerful nation on the planet. Everything he says, everything he touches turns to gold. He has slaves everywhere. They've never had a famine. They've never gone without. And then Joseph, a prisoner, comes to him and says, hey, by the way, you are not the source of good things. The source of good things has shown you and told you that he's about to cut all that off to remind you who he is and who you are. But if you change, nothing changes, nothing changes. But if you change. So these two things, to me, are very important for you. They're very important for me. Peace is in the interpretation. If nothing changes, nothing changes. But this last one, as the scripture in this chapter comes to an end, was really the reason why I wrote this message and really what I want to share with you guys the most. Verse 38 says, Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this? Remember, remember uh, Joseph told him, you need to find a good man and he needs to run everything and rule everything, right? Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there's no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him in garments of fine linen, put gold chain around his neck, and he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. A few hours before, he was in prison. And now he's the second most powerful man on the planet. Why? Because of the interpretation of a dream. He's a prisoner. No freedom. No resources. Nothing good. And in the moment, because he can interpret a dream and tell somebody that they need to change, otherwise things are not going to change for them or for the nation, he becomes the second most powerful man on the planet. 
Number three, the final one this morning is your purpose and your destiny is often found in someone else's dreams and vision. Listen, your purpose, your destiny, what God has for you, where you're supposed to be walking, the gift that's waiting for you to open is often found in someone else's dreams and someone else's vision. Joseph was destined to rule. Joseph was destined to lead. Joseph was destined to be a man of righteousness. Later on, the children of Israel were going to need salvation from starvation. They were going to need a safe place to grow in their infancy, right? And Joseph was destined to make sure that they would have that in Egypt. When all this stuff is happening, you know how many the children of Israel are at this point? About 25 people. Started with Abraham, Isaac, Joseph. There's like 25 of them. Make up the whole nation. When this story kind of climaxes, they go from being 25 people and one man named Joseph in Egypt to millions that make an exodus with Moses out of Egypt. Why? Because of the purpose and destiny of Joseph. And where did Joseph find his purpose and destiny? In the dreams and visions of Pharaoh. Many of us are looking in the wrong place for our purpose, and we're looking in the wrong place for our destiny. We're focused on self instead of focused on God. Instead of looking around and saying, what dreams and visions are there out there, are there in here that are from God, that I know it's a dream, I know it's a destiny, I know it's a vision from God, maybe I can find my destiny and purpose within it. And of all those things, he even found it in a man that was ungodly. It was Pharaoh. And within Pharaoh's dream and vision, Joseph finds godly destiny and purpose. Our country's running around losing their mind right now because Donald Trump is about to be president. Either he's going to become or, or turn into a man of God, or he's not. But either way, God says, fear not. Don't be worried about that. If I can do it with Joseph and Pharaoh... I can do it with, with uh, Israel, by Abraham. All that matters is you should be looking for vision. You should be looking for dreams. You should be looking for destiny because no matter who it is, you can find your dream and destiny within that if you allow me to show you. Why are we losing our minds? What could happen if their dream or vision comes true for Christians who believe? What could happen if the dreams and visions of your pastor come true? Could you find destiny and vision within that? What could happen in a family, in a home, if the dreams and visions of a husband and a father come true? Can a wife and children find destiny and purpose within the dreams and visions of a father or a mother? We need these glasses, church. You got to see things differently this year. You got to hear things from a new angle. You got to look at things with a new perspective this year. You got to have godly vision. The life that every Christian is supposed to live is supposed to be one of destiny and purpose, found within the dreams and visions of God. Anybody know what God's dream and God's vision is? Think about that. I told you that you can find your destiny and purpose within the dreams and visions of somebody else. That's the overall goal of God. He has a dream and he has a vision, and we're supposed to find purpose and destiny within it. I heard somebody when I asked say, to save souls. That's not the right answer. 
That's what he's doing now, but that was not the dream and the vision. That's part of the nightmare <laughs> that souls have to be saved. You see, we see it wrong. The fact that souls have to be saved is part of the nightmare that he's changing into something beautiful. But that wasn't the original dream or the original vision. God's dream and God's vision is that we would all live in a place with him, that we would all have dominion over this place, that there would be no sin, that there would be no terror, that there would be no fear, that there would be no tears. That's the dream and vision of God. And he's fulfilling it. You know, all the bad things and the hard things that happened in Joseph's life, it started when he first had his dream and vision. Joseph's dream, Joseph's vision, he came to his brothers and his family and said, I had a dream and a vision from God that you're all going to bow down to me. Be careful who you tell your dreams and visions to. <laughs> That's how it started for him. He had a dream and a vision from God. He was so excited. He came. He's like, listen, all you guys are going to bow down to me and worship me and look up to me. <laughs> They're like, no, we're not. <laughs> what did they do to him? They almost killed him. Then they threw him into a pit. Then they sold him into slavery. Then when he got out of slavery, he became uh, uh, a servant in a household. The woman of the household accused him of rape, which he did not commit. He was thrown into prison multiple times. And we pick up our story all these years later, all of the prime of his life, he's had nothing but grief and terrible things happen to him. Why? Because he had a dream and a vision. But you know what's great about Joseph? He never lost sight of his dream. He never lost sight of his vision. And he understood that drama and difficulty was part of the vision, part of the dream. I wish that many of us could understand that your drama and your difficulty and your lack and your frustrations, it's not aside from the dream, it's part of the fulfillment of the dream. If God, if God has to go through what he's going through in order to get us back to where we're supposed to be, what makes you think you don't have to go through stuff to get to where you want to be? So here's how the story ends, Genesis 42, the next chapter, verse 6. I'm only going to read one verse. Now Joseph, say now. Now. now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Listen, Joseph's brothers were in famine outside of Egypt, and everybody in the world had to come to Egypt. You know why? Because Egypt had storehouses and storehouses and storehouses full of food. The whole world is in famine, and the only place that has hope is Egypt. And the only reason it has hope is because of Joseph. And all these years later, imagine this. Joseph looks like an Egyptian. His brothers don't even recognize him. They come rolling up. Everybody, you heard them when they're in the chariots. Whenever Joseph goes anywhere, everybody cries out, bow down, bow down. So here comes his brothers. They get to his feet and they bow down before him. After all those years, what happens to Joseph? His dream and his vision is fulfilled. His dream and his vision is fulfilled. And check this out. He didn't even want to stick it to him. He didn't even want the authority. He didn't even want to say, see, I told you my dream and my vision were real. You know what he did? He blessed them. He brought them into Egypt. He fed them. Pharaoh gave him, when he found out that that was his family, they gave him the best land in all of Egypt. And the children of Israel grow as a nation in Egypt because of it. Back in chapter uh, 41, at the end of everything, it says this to about Joseph, this verse 50 and 51. 
Joseph had two sons while he's there in Egypt. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, which means for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Oh, God. <sighs> he has two boys while he's in Egypt, and he names them this. He says, my first is going to be called Manasseh because God has made me forget, right, everything that I went through. All of the drama between having a dream and having it fulfilled, he's called me, caused me to forget. I promise you this morning, if you let God, if you're in the middle of anything that's difficult, you could be in the worst time of your life right now, don't even know how you made it to church. I promise you, if you hold on to the dream and you hold on to the vision, you'll have a Manasseh moment where you look back and say, God has caused me to forget. God has caused me to forget all of that. I don't even remember how hard it was because it's so good now. And then he says, my second born, I named him Ephraim. Why? Because not only have I forgotten how bad it was, but I'm actually fruitful in the land of my affliction. I may live in Egypt, but I'm fruitful beyond belief. I may be stuck on this earth. The Bible says that what? To be, to be in this body is to be far from or apart from God. And we long for our citizenship in heaven. But God says this, even though you have to be here until I take you back to heaven, you can be fruitful in the land of your affliction. You can be fruitful here. I wonder if there's anybody here who has a dream or a vision that you need to just remember it. You just need to remember something God showed you, something God promised you that maybe you've forgotten about or maybe you said that was a nightmare. It wasn't really a dream because of look at what happened to me when I started thinking about it and talking about it. Don't give up. I told you this morning, I believe that God has a dream and a vision and a destiny for this church. But as your pastor, I care about you as individuals. I want to see your dream and your vision come to pass. I want you to tell me what it is that God has showed you. I want you to tell me what it is that God has promised you. And then I want to look up a month from now, six months from now, or six years from now, or 16 years from now, and be able to say, Manasseh, Ephraim, and be able to testify to God that you're good and your promises are faithful and they're true. Don't come into this place with no vision this year. Don't come into this place without a dream this year. If you don't have one, pray, and God will reveal it to you. If you've forgotten, pray, and God will remind you. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. Let's pray. Praise the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Worship team, would you come? <clears throat> so... These glasses that I gave you, they may look like a children's toy. <laughs> they may look cheap, but ain't nothing cheap. Everything costs something, especially when you buy 70 of them. But here's what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> the world is going to look at this and say, come on. <laughs> Jokes, gimmicks, games. Do you know what I believe? I believe that some of you are going to look back, and this is going to be the day, this is going to be the gift that changed everything for you. This is going to be what reminds you of how good God is, reminds you that you can see things that you didn't see before, gives you a perspective on things that you didn't have before, and they'll be very valuable to you. Someone will offer you all kinds of stuff. Do you know what the Bible says? 